Love your enemy. You know, the one who ardently disagrees with you? Yeah, that enemy. And beyond that, protect them. We want to welcome you to episode 43 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. During our last visit, George mentioned the story of the Good Samaritan as a template for reaching across lines of race, economics, and religious beliefs. The Samaritans despised the Jews, but this one individual took the wounded Jew, guarded him, cared for him, and even paid for his shelter while he recovered. This story goes well beyond the redefinition of neighbor. It challenges our actions towards those who disagree with us. Let's jump back into this discussion now. Here's George. Even though we disagree, even on important issues, we safeguard each other, care for each other, respect and pray for each other. We intentionally love each other, which means to act for each other's blessing and well-being, love and protect each other. Now, here's a real-life example of mutual protection. I started this chapter looking at the issue of women in ministry because it affects many Christian organizations, but also because I have worked deeply and seriously to live and work together with churches that differ on this issue. And what follows is a true story. I cite it as an example, but I intend that the model be one that is applied broadly across other denominational differences and distinctives. We cannot come together in the unity Jesus desires if we continue to divide again and again and draw ourselves into hardened fortresses of imagined doctrinal perfection, windows closed against any possible wisdom that differs with our settled views. I'll address how to handle such differences shortly. Havarim. Remember that word. But for now, please consider this example of what we've done with the issue of women in ministry to live out the love which Jesus commanded. And here's, here's the real-life example. I know churches, locally and nationally, who are convinced that women cannot be priests, pastors, or leaders in the church. I know others that believe they can. Some of the churches on either side will simply not associate with each other, or worse. But a significant number have now gathered together in an intentional association where they do not simply tolerate each other, but safeguard each other, and stay together in unity, even when that unity is assaulted from outside by those who consider such protection of the other to be treason to the concept they hold dear. In one instance, a small group of Christians who strongly believe only men can be priests was under assault within its denomination, a denomination that had a long tradition of women in leadership. A local congregation with women clergy 
in the same denomination gave this only men can be priests group sanctuary for their meetings, loving and respecting them. That is, those who didn't believe women could be priests were allowed to meet in the churches that did believe women could be priests because those who believed that they couldn't had been under assault by others in the denomination. Do you see this? The one offered sanctuary to the other. And then next, a group of churches that only permit men as priests chose to establish a formal working relationship with that same congregation that had female priests. Neither forced its views on the other, but they found unity in Christ. The first group of churches was then taken to task by outsiders for abandoning the established true tradition of the faith, the male-only priesthood, and exhorted to leave the association because some congregations had women priests, including the very congregation that had given sanctuary to the male-only group. But the congregations that had only men as priests rose to the defense of the unity and of the women clergy and refused to be driven apart from them. The unity grew stronger. Several similar incidents have occurred, both big and small, and the action of both sides within the whole group has been consistent. They love and respect each other, and they protect each other, even though they differ on this issue. To be frank, this is very unusual behavior for Christians. We tend, all of us, to be so devoted to our concepts, our doctrines, subdoctrines, worship practices, polities, hermeneutical methods and traditions that we rapidly jump to their defense at the expense of the people who view things differently. Stop it. Protect each other. Step four in this process of reconciliation is fall in love. In the example here of each side actually protecting the other, an extraordinary thing has happened. We have fallen in love. And the issue that separated us, though still an area of respectful disagreement, has lost its charge. It is no longer a source of irritation, fear, stress, or isolation. This last step, falling in love, was not anticipated. The doing of love, protecting each other, happened out of obedience to the commands of Jesus and Scripture. The feeling of falling in love happened in its wake. What a wonderful and surprising gift from the Lord. This model can and should be applied throughout the church, throughout the world. It is a healing balm that will dress wounds that have gaped and bled for centuries. But it takes daily intention, prayer, 
repentance, hard work, and love. Such love covers a multitude of sins. So again, the four steps for reconciliation are confess and stop your bitter attitude and attack toward others. Secondly, tolerate. Tolerate their views even when you disagree greatly. Third, protect. Guard them even though they disagree with you. And then lastly, fall in love. As you do this, you will fall in love. And now I want to move from these four intentional steps toward reconciliation to another concept which might be quite unfamiliar. It's called Havarim. In English, it would be spelled H-A-V-E-R-I-M. First, we'll do a little Hebrew and history based around this word and its root, and then I'll explain where we're going to go. I'll suggest a means to truly deal with areas where we disagree, that is, with theology and doctrine, with the concepts we hold dear, and the desire to promote and defend them. This way out is proposed assuming the four steps of what we just discussed in reconciliation have been understood and are put into practice intentionally and profoundly. And perhaps this section here will provide even more justification for mutual protection and the love that it requires. The Hebrew word for love is ahav. If you want to look it up in Strong's Concordance, the number is H157. Ahav is just the word used for the relationship between Jonathan and David. Here's what 1 Samuel 20 says. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. That's the Hebrew word, ahav. That is, this kind of friend is one who is loving and beloved, intimate, different from a companion. It is also the word that God uses to describe his relationship with Abraham from Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Those are the basics of this Hebrew word for love and for an intimate, beloved friend. And this intimacy does not imply sexual relations, but a closeness of hearts. It's also the root of the word chaver, which means friend. The plural is chaverim, with the accent on the last syllable, chaverim. Why do we care? Well, that is a good question, George. We'll take a quick break and come back for the answer. We're in the midst of a discussion of action points that allow reconciliation to become real in our faith and in our lives. This is all part of a larger context, the book What We Believe and Why. We'll continue with our discussion in just a few minutes. Do stay with us. 